Well, it's Advent season, which is absolutely my favorite time of the year for many, many reasons. All of us have great memories. Some of us have some painful ones to go along with those great memories, but most of us, I'll say, have, have great memories of opening presents, opening gifts. Um, I specifically recall occasions in college where you would have these uh, uh, white elephant gift parties. And in our campus group at West Virginia University, we certainly had those kinds of things where people would bring a gift and maybe you'd draw a name out of a hat to see who you were supposed to get. And, uh, and you'd know ahead of time somebody had you. And, and I remember an occasion where I was going to get a gift and a card from somebody that I was kind of sweet on. And, uh, and I remember opening the card and it said, Merry Christmas from, and then her name. And I thought, I got the from. Oh, no. That's the key. That's when you know somebody is saying clearly, we are just friends. I have no interest in you whatsoever. It's that dreaded moment where you decide, how do I end this? Is it love, comma, Chuck? Is it love always, comma, Chuck? (laughs) Or if you're a Christian, uh, you can get away with it really easy by going, love in Christ. And then, uh, you know, that kind (laughs) of... That, you know, and that, that kind of throws, you know, the whole conversation. If, if you were going to write one of those cards, you could actually just put your name, you know, Dash Chuck. Uh, if you really wanted to communicate you weren't interested in the slightest, you could put Dash Chuck Ryer. I mean, that means, like, we are distant friends, hugely so. I, I know love has um, been talked about a lot in churches, in culture. I, I think it's a base desire we all have. We'll talk about that a little this morning. But what often doesn't get investigated, we often are too busy to slow down and ask the question, what is it that we really want when we ask people to love us? When we desire to be loved by others, what is it that we're really longing for? We want to be valued. We want to be cared for. When We want somebody to love us. Sometimes we're saying we want to be protected. Other times we're saying we want to be shown affection. We want uh, someone to be passionate about us. But what is certainly true of all of these desires of ours is we want them without conditions. For instance, we'd never marry somebody who said, I'll stay with you as long as you have a good bank account. As long as the cash supply is there, I do. We probably, hopefully, wouldn't enter into that kind of marriage relationship. Probably would never date anybody who said, we'll continue to date and I will love you as long as your weight stays in between these parameters. See, the the notion that we would ever willingly submit ourselves to a relationship where the love that was extended was conditional. So many times, that's really what's going on. We have friends who say, I will be your friend as long as you always agree with me or always give me my way. These are conditional loves. The problem is our world largely runs on this kind of love. Our jobs often are at stake if we're loved in the company if we perform. Our culture in general thinks highly of people who perform at the highest levels. And you can see it even in your social circles sometimes. You feel like, you know, the love I long for, it it seems that it's elusive. 
It's a problem for us because we are conditioned to work to get love from others. If we want to be valued, we perform well. If we want romance, we make every effort to look good. The problem is, if that's the basis for the love someone has for you and the conditions change, then you have to pretty much expect that the love will change too. This is the nature of conditional love. And spending one's life looking for unconditional love is a fool's errand. They write country songs about this. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Welcome to Advent. And particularly today we explore the subject of Advent love. C.S. Lewis had love. Uh, he, he called it the four loves. There were four kinds of love that he talked about. Uh, in particular, uh, storge, which was affection love. Phileo, which was brotherly love. Eros, which was romantic love. And then there's a biblical sort of agape, a divine love that is given to us. And we have to ask the question, what is it that God is about that he has made love such a central part of our existence? It, it, it is central to all that we are and all that we do. And as we steer, uh, stare into what the Advent season, the Christmas season, is for us traditionally. That's a reflection upon aspects of the character of God that we see heightened by, the vir- by virtue of Jesus' coming in his incarnation. And today I want to explore through our passage in 1 John what love really is and what is shown to us during this season. The, the first thing I'd like to point out from our passage is from 1 John 4, 7 and 8, and that is that God created us to need love. This is who we are. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God knows God, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God created us. It is in our DNA, if you will. It is a part of who we are. Love is what we were made to run on. The simple reality of God's redemptive plan for humanity was that he was restoring us to the original state of union with him. And it was in this state of grace which existed before humanity fell into sin where we walked with God in harmony with his unconditional love. From the beginning of creation, it was God's intent that our love for him would be rooted in his creating us in his image and experiencing the fullness of his love. Humanity, we were created to need the love of our Father. Paul Tripp wrote in his book about Advent, quote, Love of God was the plan. We were created to recognize his existence and his grandeur and his authority. In acts of deeply personal love, we would choose to serve him with all our time and energy, and it wouldn't be a hassle. We would obey because of our personal love for God. Because we loved God, the lawgiver, we would find joy in following his laws. We would find joy in serving him and staying inside his boundaries. 
that was the plan. Of course, in a broken world full of broken people and a nature that is rebellious, we've done ruin that. And now we have cravings for affirmation and security and all else that we long for from others, but this is merely an echo of the Father's creative intent that we'd know joy through the fullness of His presence. Our longings from other people, which are legitimate, are really echoes of God's desire that we would know and experience Him. St. Augustine once famously said, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in You. John wrote later in this fourth chapter of his epistle, So we have come to know and to believe that the love God ha- that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. And here's the challenge. Believing in the love that God has for us, which is unconditional. It's challenging because, as we've previously stated, our Our nature, our culture, all of that is often all driven by conditions. The affirmation and desires that we have are all conditionally reserved. But one thing that further complicates this for many of us is that we have had relationships that were supposed to be unconditional, but they weren't. It's almost impossible for us to see this. But our longings for love are real. And if we don't get them met, we're sad people. We, our hearts want more of the love of God. And yet we've oftentimes wondered how we could get it. And this is the second thing we see in our passage. God created us to need love. And this is the beauty of this Advent season is God pursued us to show his love for us. The purpose of Christ's coming was to scream at the top of his lungs, I love you unconditionally. John says this in verses 9 and 10, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, a word that means the satisfaction of justice, that Jesus actually died to pay a penalty that we owed. The propitiation, a redemptive purpose. Redeeming a coupon means using it for payment. Jesus redeemed us and paid for us. He was the propitiation of our sins. See, Jesus came, he pursued us, long before we ever desired him. The Apostle John referred to himself in the third person in his gospel accounts. He would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, this was an act of humility, uh, not an act of self-importance, the way some Western celebrities might refer to themselves in the third person. He called himself this because John clearly had an experience with Jesus who was the exact representation of the Father, 
that led him to conclude that he was loved dearly by the Savior. And that experience is tracked very well through his gospel. He was close, proximity-wise. He was physically close. He was listening to Jesus. He was abiding in the presence of Jesus. From Jesus' experiences of being seen transfigured on the mountain with Moses and Elijah to Jesus' troubles in the Garden of Gethsemane previous to his arrest and crucifixion to even the time he shared with Jesus' mother at the foot of the cross. John was intimately close to Jesus, which is how we can believe that he discovered he was the disciple whom Jesus loved. For the rest of us, we're often called to say, how do we know the manifestation of God's love, in particular, his unconditional love? How is it that made manifest in our lives? We're called to reflect on Christ's coming because the nature of his coming shows that he loves us both sacrificially, and then it says he's the propitiation for our sins, but also unconditionally in that he came long before we were born, let alone had the thought that, hey, maybe I should follow Jesus. Paul writes in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus was pursuing his children when they were in rebellion to him. This is the striking, unconditional love demonstrated, manifest in Jesus' coming to us. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him, John says. And this is true in two very clear senses of the word. In one sense, real life, substantive life can only be found in living in the presence of God, in relationship with God, seeing life through the lens of God's love, unconditional love for us. That's the, it's the only way life makes sense. This is the only way life can be satisfying in this world, is to know our purpose and to know life in the presence of a God who desires to bless his daughters and his sons. He, he desires to be present with you. This is life. This is real life. But in another sense, Jesus saved us from death, a certain death, a death that would have come, a separation from him, a physical judgment of death that would have come because of human nature, because of our rebellion, our natural rebellion, our first parents' rebellion against him. Sin needed to be paid for. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on a cross. Jesus has pursued us to bring us life. He has literally saved us to really live. 1 John 4, 17 and 18 says this, By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Do you know the gift that this is? You do not have to be afraid of judgment if you're a child of God. Growing up in the churches that I grew up in, 
And, and this is true for so many, regardless of the denominational affiliation that you found yourself attached to. You really didn't and couldn't comprehend that this Jesus you came to worship had already liberated you from having to be afraid that if you died today, you would be judged. Christians walking around afraid that God will go, well, you know, you really were a disappointment on that earth, even though you came to church and you did all the right things. See, a Christian is right with the Father because Jesus has been the propitiation for our sins. He's paid the price. You don't have to pay it a second time. When you stand before the Father, you will not have to be afraid at all. Even when he assesses what you've done with the life he's given you to steward, his assessment, his judgment of that is going to be done in light of the fact that you are his child. Perfect love, the love that is unconditional, that is given to us, it is the Christmas gift of gifts, is a gift from the Father to show us his love. And you do not have to be afraid any longer. Fear has to do with punishment. And Jesus has already taken that punishment. God pursued us to show us his love. He had created us to need this love. And then presuming that we experience this with him, we are then called and commanded to to give this love. Beloved, John writes in 1 John 4, 11 and 12, If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Beloved, it's not a word we use a lot. Unless you're really deeply in love with somebody, you would refer them to as your beloved. My beloved wife. My beloved husband. Even then, it's not a word that's really all that popular in our culture. Well, it would get translated in other ways. In other translations, this word would be dearly loved, precious loved ones, those who are preciously loved. Beloved means that God is so favorably disposed to you. You are his dearly loved children. And he says, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. You know, this was the original purpose of Christmas gifts, was to demonstrate the unconditional love of God by giving gifts to others. We'd give to each other as we had been given. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel. And when you think about the antithesis, which is not giving somebody a gift, that says quite a bit. Not sending somebody a Christmas card says, you weren't really on my mind all that much. You're not that important to me. We give gifts to those whom we love. Or oftentimes you'll get locked into a socially awkward situation where you're forced to give gifts to people. But for the most part, gifts are something that proceed from a relationship we have with somebody. It is something we do without condition. And this is a key to understanding how we learn to obey the commands of God. We have to love God before we would ever want to obey Him. And in order to love God, you have to know you're unconditionally loved. You can only love Him because He first loved you. And this is an important key to life relationships too. Put simply, if we want others to love us, 
We must love them first. If we're hoping for life change in another, whether it be a spouse or a child or a friend or a family member, if, if you're hoping for this, it'll only come as they experience God's love in and through you. They have to know, I'll love you unconditionally, even if you never change. It's the only hope that they'll ever go, okay, because I want to love you, I'll change. The only hope is that they would know that they can experience God's grace and love through us. And all of this is consistent with what we learn in God's pursuit of the incarnation, pursuit of us in the incarnation of Jesus. Left to ourselves, don't kid yourself. You and I would never have desired to love God. Only when we experience his love on a regular basis can we see our own desire to love him grow. The Apostle John knew this as well as anyone. And so he very simply stated in 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. We will only obey God and his command to love one another by giving ourselves to others if we first receive and embrace the Christmas gift of his unconditional love. If you will receive his unconditional love, then you have the capacity to redistribute that. But we're proud people. We're hard-hearted people. We, we want to be able to say that we earned his favor, or worse yet, in some of our cases, deserve his favor, and neither is true. We can't earn his love. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more than he does today if you're his child. And it's a gift. You aren't going to be able to ever stand and say, look at what I've done to earn this because God doesn't want you to ever either be proud or think that on those days when you fail him that his love has ceased. See, if you set yourself up to have God love you conditionally and then you get a real taste of your inability to keep those conditions up, you're in for some significant disappointment and fear. God is saying, I want you to know that you are secure, but the only way you're going to be able to be secure is to know that I love you unconditionally. God's unconditional love is seen in how we give gifts to each other. When you go to the store to buy gifts for your friends or family, do do you really ever think, well, how big a gift am I going to give this person? How much are they going to give me? Generally speaking, you just walk in and you go, oh, I think they'd like that or they'd like this. It's done. So as to say I love you, regardless of whether or not you give me something in return or something of equal value, we show love for others by determining to give to them. And this is what Advent love is about. It's supposed to help us see that we weren't searching the mountains of Tibet like great philosophers desiring God. We were rebellious people, and he came to us. He pursued us. See, he made us for love, and, and he wanted to show us this love, and now if we can experience this love, we can actually give that gift of love to each other. 
among my favorite Christmas movies is, of course, the timeless Christmas story. Young Ralphie wanting that BB gun. Oh, it's so good. And, and my favorite scene in the, the entirety of that movie is one of the last ones where they've already opened the presents. Dad's sitting there on the couch with his arm around Ralphie, and he's asking Ralphie, did you, well, did you, did you enjoy Christmas today? Did you get everything you wanted? And, and what a sweet kid. He's actually trying to like, be thankful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's good Christmas. You know, and you can tell his heart's sort of broken. He didn't get what he wanted. And then there's that moment where Dad realizes that this sweet kid is actually trying to give thanks. And he goes, oh, what's, what's that behind the tree? Is there another present right there? Huh? And then the kid realizes that his heart's desire is now being given to him. He's getting what he really wanted. And the father's joy is, is almost as much fun to watch. You know, the thrill of getting to give something to his son. And this really captures the essence of Christmas, which is we have something we really long for, and it's called God's unconditional love. We, we long for this. We're made for this. We, we want this worse than a Red Ryder BB gun. We want this bad. And, and God wants to give that to us. He longs for you to get this. He longs for me to get this. But it takes a miracle it takes his, his spirit to open our eyes and open our ears and help our hearts see and hear and comprehend. And that's what the Christmas season and our traditional Advent celebrations are supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about creating context where God can open our eyes to see something he wants us to see that will completely transform our lives if we'll receive it. So I pray today, even as we come to communion, that we would see the unconditional love of God in such a way this season as to want to love others in the same way. Let us pray.